Well, hello everyone. Welcome back for episode three of season three of Life on Side B. I didn't even mean for that to rhyme, but it does. Um, and <laughs> we are here with some of my favorite people, and I've been really looking forward to this episode for a long, long time. Um, I was originally going to call this episode Evening with the Authors, and then was thinking Brunch with the Authors. Now, do we have mimosas? No. Uh, I was about to say, I wish you would have told me, because you know I love a good mimosa. I would have liked mimosa so fast. I know, and I was thinking about it, and then I was like, I don't got orange juice in this house. I have (laughs) wine, but... Like, oh, I could have, I could have gotten one. Anyway, we're here <laughs> with some of the greatest voices. Um, uh, Wesley Hill, Eve Tushnet, and David Bennett. Thank you Hello. all. Yeah. Uh, it's great to be here. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Good to Thank see you everyone, too. Yeah, this is going to be a great time, and Henry and I have been really looking forward to this. Henry is going to lead the conversation, because while this is my (laughs) first time, this is really my first time, I think, really interacting, well, not interacting, Wes, I met you at Revoice one year. We met at Revoice, yeah, exactly. Yes, we did, but we had like a uh, in the hallway. Kind of conversation. Exactly. Very brief. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And even David, this is my first time really like talking to you, not on email or messenger so um, because of that henry has ha- has met everyone in person before so he's gonna lead this conversation <laughs> and i'll be here to have fun along the way oh gosh yes um well if we're ready to go in so oh my gosh first of all i want to tell the listeners that i am still anti this having a video myself thing that josh is making us do for this season <laughs> because like i have to look somewhat presentable and the whole point of a podcast is you don't have to be seen oh <laughs> uh, wait i saw the vi- i saw the pictures of you on your new podcast you were like killing it with the well the, that was in the studio and for press like i had to <laughs> i'm just saying <laughs> i mean yeah, those at the park was in studio and then press and then in front of a live audience. So I had to get dressed. But other than that, I'm going to be in my bed for the rest of that podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I just thought it was so funny because in our first one, you're in your bed. And then I, I looked literally... at it and I was <laughs> like, wait, what is what is Henry wearing in this episode? <laughs> when Josh released a trailer for this season... I was like, oh my gosh, I am literally in my bed, like, recording a <laughs> podcast. I was like, Henry, this is so terrible. <laughs> like, um, I was like, okay, so this one I got out of my bed. I'm sitting at my kitchen um, island and drinking some tea and staying warm. So at least I'm it. a lot more visible. Great. Right. Great. Well, yeah. yeah. I wanted to jump in. Um for those of y'all listening, Eve, David, and Wesley are brilliant writers and speakers and uh, theologians, and I just say just heroes of the faith of mine personally and then of so many other people, so it's an honor to have y'all here today with us on the podcast, and I have, like Josh said, I have met each of y'all, Eve and I have talked probably the least, but um, we've spoken. David and I had breakfast and a wonderful walk through Dallas, Texas. About we two did. Years. It was fabulous. And we <laughs> each other for a couple of years. And then we had some cocktails. Um, 
summer 2019 at Revoice. Which exactly. Yeah, that was, that was a well, great time. So. <laughs> now, so thank you all for being here. I know it's um, time that you have set aside, so we really appreciate you all just coming on and talk with us. So. Yeah. It's my pleasure. Okay, well, I'll just dive right in. Um, Go, Henry. Okay, so all of y'all are writers, as I mentioned. Um, so can y'all tell us, when did you know that you were going to write a book, um, that you had something to add to this conversation, and what was that writing process like for you? Eve, do you want to go first? Yeah, let's start with Eve, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I read your book first, I think, so yeah. All right. Um, I had wanted to write a book for a while before I started well, and I, I did a bunch of beginnings to gay and Catholic. Uh, and I don't remember what my thinking was at the time. Uh, it probably was basically what ended up being the idea for the book, which was that there were memoirs out there, but not a lot that was specifically focused on uh, what are... Thank you, David. You're welcome. <laughs> For our listeners, David just showed him like a copy of Dane Catholic across the screen. Basically, the idea behind it was what are the paths of love that are open to you in the church? Uh, so there was memoir basically to give credibility or to say for people who would be wondering why I cared or where I was coming from, here's where I'm coming from. But the bulk of the book would be exploring different pathways that people could take uh, to give and receive love in the church. Uh, so I started it a bunch of times, and my theory, my current theory, is that it didn't work out because I needed to quit drinking first. There's a lot of stuff in Gay and Catholic uh, about sort of alcoholism and sobriety because I started drafting it probably right around the three-month mark of my sobriety. Uh, and so it was still very like vivid and fresh in my mind. And I think that I needed that level of clarity and integrity. Uh, if I had tried to write it beforehand, there would have been too many things that I would have been hiding. Uh, and so it wouldn't have been able to really be honest. And I think on some mm -hmm. level, I knew that. Uh, so yeah, so the drafting process, once I started, was actually super easy. I was living with my parents, uh, as I am right now, actually. Uh, and I sort of spent a summer sitting on their back porch with like a pint of Ben and Jerry's doing a page a day uh, until it was done. <laughs> Love that, and I love that you knew you had to. Your sobriety was going to lead into you being super authentic. Um, I think that's important because that is something that touches a lot of people's lives. And um, so yeah, that's important. So I'm going to put a pin in that. I want to come back to that if you don't mind later. Yeah. So um, oh, yeah. yes, Wesley. Yeah. So I um, I came out, you know, first to myself and then to other Christians in a setting that was did you realize wait i just called you wesley and not dr hill because you were trying to get me to break that habit and i finally did it oh my gosh yay the good the african and me just panicked notice. at that i was like I henry <laughs> that's great <laughs> love it love it the african um, in me was like oh no what if my mom heard that <laughs> <laughs> uh, most of my friends call me wes so you couldn't even drop a syllable next time yeah um, okay um yeah so i i i first came out in an environment that was pretty influenced by the whole ex-gay paradigm. Mm -hmm. So like I felt a lot of pressure from Christians in my life to like scrutinize my relationship with my dad and see if that was at the root of my same-sex attraction, you know, all, all that whole paradigm. 
and I just never, I never found it illuminating. I, it, it always felt that I was trying to kind of shoehorn my life into it mm-hmm. in order, in order for it to work. So I was kind of desperately looking for something to read. I, I didn't start out wanting to write a book. I started out wanting to read a book. I wanted to read a book uh, about what it would be like to actually own, you know, yes, I'm gay, and I'm not trying to fix that or change that. But at the same time, I'm not, I'm not embracing like same-sex marriage. Um, I'm embracing a life of celibacy, and I was, I was just desperate to find it. I thought I found it when I found um, some pages in a biography of Henry Nowen, who was a, a, a Catholic priest, a celibate man, um, but he was not out to very many people in his life, and so it wasn't quite what I needed. I wanted someone to like write about this experience, like what it was like, and so that's kind of how it started. I felt like, well, if I want to read this book, I may actually have to try to write it myself. Um, and so I drafted it when I was in my mid twenties, I was living in Africa at the time in Cameroon, um, and just sort of sitting there at my computer for long hours. And, and it, it came to me later to kind of intersperse the stories of Nowen and Gerard Manley Hopkins, um, uh, along with it, um, to kind of give a sense that this is not just me sharing my life, but there is actually this paradigm that has existed, you know, in the history of the church. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of how it, how it came about for me. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, and David, you are the third into this. So you threw your book into the game as well. So how was that for you? When did you know? Well, your story is just, I mean, you've got to be one of the most fascinating people I've ever met and I don't use that lightly. But because I know oh, a lot Henry, of people, <laughs> um, I find you equally as fascinating. I want to ask you, when are you writing your book? Um, yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh, God. Well, I've read some of it, actually. So it's in the works. Lord. Um, look, I think, and we're going to talk about whiteness as well, which I'm looking forward to. Mm-hmm. I think that's something. It's black history month after all. So. Okay. Yeah. But I think my mm-hmm. book was birthed out of the kind of fiery crucible of a char- the charism of an evangelist like i think for me it was i am this fresh convert i don't have the christian baggage in the same way i am gay but i don't suddenly the progressivism that i was part of wasn't making wasn't fitting me as a born again christian and so i wanted to write a book which didn't go conservative didn't go like just refuse that whole political spectrum i suppose you could say queered it but i (laughs) you know (laughs) um but but i i I don't think i had language like that yet i don't think i was there i was like but i want to write this fresh story and i feel like it has power in it for people of all kinds but particularly particularly lgbtqi plus people to just try to find that deeper way and there were books out there by like muslim like people of muslim and to become christian and i'd read those and they'd really spoken to me persecuted church and they helped me to, yeah, to kind of craft, I suppose, um, a war of loves. Wesley's book was massively um, pivotal for me too, as as a book that that inspired mine. And I think also Eve's like theology of eros was super important for me, um, which we can mm. talk about later. But yeah, I suppose it was so that a Christian who has no, no idea about being gay or the wrestle of and the gift of what we are as a community um, could enter into our story um, in one way, and that a person who was gay and atheist could understand Christians and why they make the choices they make. 
um, in a more profound way. And I think that was like the kind of, yeah, double-edged motivation for why I wrote the book. I love that. Um, yeah, yeah, David, I guess back to you too. Um, so Wes and Eve both wrote their books before you wrote yours. Were you familiar with their works? Um, and anyway, how did their work shape or inspire yours? So I have memories of being a, at a Catholic school, uh, raised in a Catholic school doing like my Hail Marys. I wouldn't say that I was actually like Catholic. I definitely wasn't converted to Christ, but I have this kind of cultural memory of Roman Catholicism. And um, Eve's work came into my life. I actually hadn't read Gay and Catholic, but I read various articles of Eve's. Mm-hmm. And I think I've detected within Protestantism a weakness around the theology of desire in Protestantism. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we still have that weakness. <laughs> and we need a yep. reformation. <laughs> or at least a counter-reformation. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we need to listen to our Roman Catholic brothers and sisters more about the theology of desire. And so, and also Eve's, Eve's way of um, just being so comfortable in her skin mm-hmm related to being gay, I think was really helpful because at a certain point, I suppose I would have the side why temptation where I was in the evangelical world and I was like, I just don't want to deal with this. I don't want to have to be the gay guy and put up as like this kind of complex character. And Eve's way of, yeah, positioning herself, which was a bit different to Wes, really gave me the courage just like, so you know, I'm gay and I don't have to reject that history. Um, so that's been really precious to me. So both of those two things, and also a female voice at the time, or <laughs> like very few female voices, women voices, um, and that was really, really important to me um, as well. And then for Wes, it was, I think Wes's book almost like providentially was given to me, like by God, in my book, you can read about that. And I think I'd always kind of thrown up in my mouth a little bit at the idea of being celibate. <laughs> you know, like, um, I was like, right? You know, like, like my inner, like, gay activist that was like, I love Jesus, love the Trinity, I can't, or I'm all right with the Bible. Church tradition can go out the door. You know, I was still kind of in that place. And then I read Wes's book and I'm like, oh my gosh, like, he's gone through, like, such a similar experience. Hmm. Um, wow, and it just unlocked a kind of mm. offering my body up as a living sacrifice and unlocked this whole other more erotic side of being celibate um, mm. that then I could see a path of flourishing in that. And so for me, that was hugely pivotal um, in my journey, both both of those strands from yeah. Eve and from Wes. Yeah. Yeah, those books for me, um, specifically Gay Catholic, and then we've mentioned Wesley's book several times, but we haven't mentioned the actual name of it. So this one is Washed and Waiting, the first, his first book. And I remember where I was distinctly for both of those books when I finished them and I was reading them. Eve's, I was, I read a lot of it in my car for some reason. Like, I'm not, not like while I was driving, obviously, but like on lunch breaks and stuff, I would read it in my car. And I grew up Anglican, and so I called myself Roman Catholic light growing up. And so I was just like, <laughs> <laughs> I relate a lot to this. And so that was just, especially from a woman's perspective, like David mentioned too, um, sexuality is not something that I ever really like thought to look at through the lens of a woman's perspective. Because I'm like, okay, I'm gay like a man, clearly. So that's just kind of what I need to think through. But it was fascinating to read through it in that lens and still apply it to my faith. And then 
Wesley's book. I mean, oh my gosh, like I could probably just cry even when we talked about the first time I read it. But it had been something I was like deeply longing for and searching for in like a story that looked like mine and um in the intro of my book that who knows if we'll ever see the light of day i mentioned that it and i will. was like i was sitting we here we will make sure it sees the light of day <laughs> <laughs> but um and i'm like i'm looking for this story who can understand this experience who can put words to this and then page after page, oh gosh, I, if I could show you all my copy, my first yeah. copy of that book was just writings all over it. And yeah. I remember thinking immediately to Wesley, how incredibly like lonely probably writing that book must have been in a way, because it is such a personal narrative. And it's, I mean, it's breathtaking. And I went through it with a pastor friend of mine, Garrett, and then our good friend, Daniel Stark, him and I went through the book together. Oh, yeah. Um, yes. And it was just like, oh man, this is the book that the church needs. Mm. And then your second book, which we'll talk about later, was even just like, mm. gosh, I mean, all y'all, I'm just like, how am I supposed <laughs> to try to do anything? And then uh, David's book comes along and this man is so bold and like literally like so fearless. And I'm just like, damn, I could probably not say something else. <laughs> <laughs> you were just like, okay. like zero to 100 on the gas pedal like if wesley and eve were like okay we're gonna pace this conversation we're gonna take it david's like bam <laughs> move i am coming it's, through it's that evangelism <laughs> gift that he has yeah yeah it's the probably the convert zeal, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I would I would no, love for, to jump in there and say, or sorry, go ahead, Henry. Oh uh, no, I was going to move on, but yeah, keep talking about. It. No, I was just going to say, yeah, like talking about where the like you were when you first like read these books or heard these books. It's so crazy to me because like you know I've read Wesley's book, Eve. I've read part of your book. I still haven't finished it, which but like and I David, I've heard that too. By the way, so just I so know, you know he did, he did, he did. <laughs> I I used to be a person that read twelve books a year. I'm lucky if I get through one now. So um, so this is my life, um, but. Um, you know, with Wes's book, I grew up through Exodus, which many people have been mm. on the podcast have, have gone through. And, and I remember hearing, I remember when it came onto the bookshelves of when Alan Chambers brought it onto the bookshelves of Exodus and everyone who was in the more conservative side of Exodus, which happened to be the, my leaders were like, you should never read this book. You wow. will, it was worse than side A theology. It was, it was worse. And so uh, I... Yeah, that, what is that? Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> and so the crazy part is, is that, you know, I had left my, like, I had, I had left my boyfriend. I had done all this and I'd gone through and I'd been celibate for multiple years before I ever picked up your book. And ironically, which... Wes, sometimes we need to have like a one-on-one conversation about yeah. this and all. What actually got me to read your book was a friend of mine gave me in the journal you had published, um, Still Washed in Waiting, like a journal oh, yeah, article. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Which uh -huh. I think then became like you added into a later or version wa of the book. Washed and Still Waiting. Yeah, that became Washed and Still Waiting. Yeah. 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 Washed and Still Waiting. Of course. <laughs> Thank you for clarification. But then I read that and that really pushed me to read it. And, you know, with Eve, one thing I always, literally almost anytime I talk, I end up quoting you about the whole thing of we cannot have a vocation of no. Yeah. 
Like for me, oh yes, that was that's the quote. <laughs> that is like the quote, and that has always impacted me in my life. Of like, no, like if I'm gonna thrive, it, there needs to be yes, there needs to be an avenue of yes, you know. And and David, I've been so excited to hear your story because I think you know both of us coming from like side A backgrounds has always been really cool to see. Like, oh wow, like there's. Like there are other people like this, you know. Yeah. Um, and yeah. so we do. Yeah. Go so ahead. Henry. <laughs> no, I was going to say that's really interesting. Uh, you mentioned you and David's story because mine, theologically, I've never been anywhere but where Wesley and Eve were. So it's like was never hard. Like grasping that in itself, the theology side was never hard. It was for me the practical. What does this look like lived outside that I was just like, oh my gosh, where's a roadmap? And I would literally pray, where's a roadmap? And it's so funny, Daniel, who probably wouldn't mind if I told this story, but so his sister had given him the books year, the book years before Washington waiting. And he said he had it in like the bottom of some door. He just did not ever want to touch it and whatnot. And so when he kind of came back to his faith and like he joined my small group, we were at the same church together at the time. And how we met was very crazy, but, um, or very God-ordained, rather. But he was like, okay, so my sister has given me this book. I don't know if you've heard of it. I think it's probably time I dig it out and read it. And then he told me the book. I was like, oh, I'll read that with you. I was like, I've read it before. I'll read it through it again with you. And like, we looped in our pastor. Yes. Like, let's all read this. And I was like, and get Catholics next. We'll read that, too. And he's like, okay, slow down. I'm like, I'll start running. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, one of the things this I think... Oh, sorry. Who was going to talk? Um, the one thing I was just going to say, and then I'll, I'll let it, cause I'm more here to be in the background. But, um, when I read Wes, Wes, when I read your book, one of the things that most impacted me about the book was when you retook the verse of Matthew, where it says anyone who has left their father, mother, mm -hmm. all yeah. of this will be blessed tenfold. I'm, I'm probably like yeah. destroying the Bible in this moment, but like, um, and you added in there a gay partner. And for me, that was so impactful yeah. as someone who like had, has loved someone and, and was like, wow. And, and I think then David, your book was such a great continuation of that, even though like I um, like, and your story and bringing that story in there to be able to say like this community of side B people is filled with both people who've been in the church and pursued celibacy for their lives, as well as people that come from other backgrounds that you know and like yeah i think it's so. interesting josh because for me now what i'm doing in academia a lot of it is like this extension of almost like as an evangelist apologist i'm trying to kind of actually say to acad academia like hold it accountable too and say there should be a space for our voice you know and mm -hmm. i wonder if that's a drive maybe if you've been side a or you've been mm -hmm. in those environments you're kind of a little bit more invested in going back to that world and saying, hey, I'm like part of you still. Because I think yeah. you have that whole thing where you become a convert and you say, well, you know, I'm Christian now. And you get into this mm -hmm. like dualism and you're like, <laughs> oh, well, I'm, I'm side B and like you're all gone now and like I'm saved, you know? Yeah. And now I feel like there's just so much to talk about, about like reconstructing mm -hmm. your relationship with the world you identified with in the past and still Absolutely. identify with now and like how that what that looks like without falling into this dualism and then I imagine it's the same being side B with the church if you've grown up with the church you have to do the same kind of reconstruction so I found it really fascinating in a side B community where I'm like going through this kind of stuff which is more related to 
the secular side of the world and trying to like speak to it in a Christian way that's understandable and others are doing other things. I think that's just really fascinating. Like the way, the kind of way everyone tissues together in our community. And I think that's a gift from God that we're all like learning to value. So I, I just am really, um, I'm just so excited that we're kind of getting to that point. You know, and to be in any way a part of that process is just such an honor. Um, yeah, I love that. And I love your positivity and your outlook on this journey. And excited in the side B conversation. It's probably not the word I'd put together in my head at this point in time because it can feel so draining. And on that note, for really, Wesley and Eve, I really want to thank y'all just for the road y'all paid for us and many of us who write and speak just to come behind y'all. And y'all took some bullets for us. I mean, I have, obviously, I have read reviews. Y'all have read reviews. Y'all have read the tweets or criticism after conferences and whatnot. And I'm just like, wow, I don't know how y'all handle that. But I really think the Lord used y'all um, to prepare a place for all of us who were coming behind y'all, following y'all's footsteps. Um, and was it, what is it like, one, to deal with the criticism uh, as ways y'all have for sure, and two, what is it like now having written books before and seeing a new wave of authors like David and we have Greg and we have the Bridgets of the world and whatnot. So what is it like seeing some of those people come up behind y'all? Wes, you were first. So you yeah. got it. Um, well, so, so Washington Waiting came out in 2010 and it it immediately got a lot of positive reviews there, there was a really sweet and lovely review at first things uh first things website um it got blogged about and i got invited to speak in various churches and christian colleges and so i think i think having that kind of initial positive reception it made me think like wow maybe we really have uh turned a corner you know in the in the in the christian world and and there's um there's a new openness to you know celebrating the lives of of gay and and celibate believers and honestly i mean so we're recording this in early 2021 um the first revoice conference happened in the summer of 2018 and um i don't think i was prepared and i think i'm still processing all of the negative uh, backlash from conservative Protestants, particularly uh, evangelicals. It, was it took me off. It took me off guard, and it it made me it made me sort of rethink. Like I, I'm not sure what happened with Washington waiting, but I think I think there's less hospitality for folks like us than maybe I was I was prepared to to think. Um, so it's been you know it's been over two years now since the first Revoice conference, and and the subsequent conferences have gotten pushback as well but i think it's left me with a, a feeling of like i need to process this still like what mm -hmm. what where are we um in terms of the work that remains to be done um what is what are the criticisms that i need to take seriously and really hear and um you know how do i need to perhaps modify the way i talk about these things or advocate for these things but mm -hmm. um but i feel like i'm I may be a little more wounded than I was when Washington Waiting came out. And, and mm. I'm, I'm, yeah, I have an awesome spiritual director who is also a, uh, he's a professional therapist as well as an Anglican priest. And so I'm, I'm doing a lot of processing with him these days and trying to, trying to just take my own temperature as well as the, the temperature of the movement that, you know, I've, I've helped, helped go along. 
So yeah, I don't know. For sharing that with us. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What would you say? Okay. Uh, so let's see. Criticism. I should probably first say that I probably move in a different world than the world of criticism that Wes was seeing and talking about. Uh, I there's a lot of cross pollination in the U.S. at least between Catholic and Protestant communities on gay stuff specifically uh for good and for ill right i think revoice is the good and there's many examples of the ill uh but what i see is mostly only when it comes out in the catholic world and revoice was not targeted in the same way so so that was sort of i was on one side to that uh Criticism that I get tends to fall into three categories. One is just wrong, and that is easy to ignore. Uh, one is uncharitably expressed, but probably has some grain of truth, which always mm -hmm. gets under my skin. This is actually like a very good, I've learned over the years, this is a very good um, tool for telling when criticism has something to say to me is if it irritates me mm -hmm. uh, if i find myself like ranting in my head about the wrongness of this person's statement it is almost certainly partly correct yes i agree with that that's good uh, oh that's good yeah and and then the third one is actually not criticism at all but praise that in some way makes it clear that i haven't expressed myself fully or well or in the, right, or in the right way the big thing that happened with gay and catholic was that several people uh, praising it, perceived it as setting up uh, covenant friendships as kind of the solution to the problem of gay people. Uh, and that this was now the ideal model that the church could offer gay people as they offer marriage to straight people. And uh, I don't know how successful I've ever been on pushing back on that, but it is, I think, like a... a, a, a misunderstanding that can do a lot of harm both because it still frames things in the terms of gay people as a problem seeking a solution yeah. uh it kind of limits covenant friendship to us when it is for everybody mm. uh and it also sets up you know an alternative we talk a lot in the like side b community about the idolatry of marriage and i think there is a temptation to set up an idolatry of mm. the devoted intimate you know uh mm. pledged committed same-sex relationship uh the celibate partnership or the covenant friendship as an idol in a similar way where if you don't achieve that you failed mm. uh because it's something people want so badly mm -hmm. yeah and so making and so say once you say once you offer the possibility and the hope which i think is real right i say it because i think yeah. it's real and true and in scripture mm -hmm. uh <clears throat> that you can have this life-shaping relationship then you do set it up as something to be attained uh as a mark of some kind of uh i don't know it's the it's the aa slogan expectations are planned resentments you're giving people mm -hmm. a new expectation that which was part. always a true one yeah but you know there's a I don't know. I'm now rambling, but my basic point was that there were there were there were positive readings of gay and Catholic that nonetheless kind of pointed out to me that it is easy for people to overfocus on the new shiny thing that I was saying about covenant friendship and to make that the answer in a way that I don't think it should be. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's kind of the, the criticism thing. 
Uh, I've always been sort of water off a duck's back when it comes to personal insults, probably because I get less of them. People talk about how if you're a woman on the internet, people will constantly be yelling horrible things at you. And essentially, I'm like the only person I know who can say this hasn't been my experience. Uh, but, and then, so the second part of the question, which I feel like maybe we should do separately, was more like, yeah. how has the landscape changed? Yeah. yeah. Um, I was going to say on the criticism piece, um, before I ask David to answer that, and then we'll probably move to the landscape change. But it's, um, I, that was really good what you said about if somebody's criticism irritates me, there's probably level of truth in it that I need to examine. I'm like, that is so true. I'm like, why am I so bothered by that unless something about it is true? So that's a good just gauge. Um, but there comes a point to where even leading into Revoice and uh, the first one and even the second one, I finally, and then as I navigate the evangelical culture, um, and all the many thoughts that, one, I always, I'm just like, so many people think they know what's best for your life better than you do. And in terms of this conversation, I'm like, nobody has thought about this more than us. It's like, this is something I'm actually living with. So please believe you me. Everything, everything you think you've thought about this journey, I've thought about that 20, 40, 100 more times than you have. Right. And so I finally got to a point where I said, I am no longer going back and forth with people who are inherently committed to misunderstanding me because some people really just don't understand and some people are committed to misunderstanding you. And that's on both sides of the conversation. And I got to the point where with the Christians and evangelicals specifically, like if you're at a point to where you are deeply rooted in misunderstanding me, we're not having a conversation. Like I'll be charitable and like dismiss you, but it's like, no, it's not up for debate. It's like even using the word gay, I'm like, that's no longer a thing that I'm just like having a long dialogue with somebody about. Yeah. Like, you seem so attracted if you want in your head. I don't care what you use, but like, as for me in my house, we are not debating you on the usage of that word. <laughs> so, yeah. 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 But yeah. yeah. And I think there's an, I, I want to sort of underline that because I think there's a deep resistance, uh, sometimes explicit, sometimes more implicit uh, among conservative straight Christians to use a maybe unnecessarily objectifying term uh, to treating gay people as in any way an authority on our own experience or on scripture or on uh, the life of the church. Uh, there's a deep resistance to saying that we have anything to offer that they do not have better. Uh, yeah. And I think that's to some extent rooted in the definition of homosexuality as a psychiatric disorder uh mm. that like we have a distorted perception of a reality so why would you trust us about that reality itself yeah that's my sort of armchair armchair diagnosis of that but i think that it's what henry, some of what henry's saying is coming from that unwillingness to admit that they do not actually know more about our lives <laughs> uh, for, yeah. or that, that's not not they right it's often pointing to other different straight people and saying listen to these people instead of them instead of the gay people yeah yeah i think yeah, yeah go, what, on that criticism and just everything and yeah i think i remember going to evangelical theological society for like the first time because zondervan gives you like this free ticket you know because you're now an author so you get like something um extra just to go and i was like i didn't really know what evangelical theological society was it's like this kind of other thing before the big american academy of religion meeting and i remember walking into this like you know meeting with like preston sprinkle some other white man denny burke etc and just being like why are they talking about us like why is there not like a panel of actually gay evangelical or traditional yeah. orthodox people like this is crazy like 
I, like at least one of us, please. Like, you know, and, <laughs> like you can even curate someone that like you agree with more and makes it more comfortable for the conference. I don't even know. And then Preston like came down from like speaking at that panel discussion and just said, "David, I'm so sorry that I was I didn't want to be chosen for that." You know, and and I just felt so loved by Preston in that. Mm. And so I feel like that just is like one example of like the madness mm. of the church's absolute. I think what we do is we expose, we remind the church of Jesus and the church wants to shut down because Jesus has included us and given us power to live a holy life. And the church has always been, you know, ever since Paul was preaching, you know, wants to reject the included by the Holy Spirit. And so I feel like there's a very deep like problem with people who get power in the church and don't understand the holy spirit um that's why i've always struggled with kind of structures and institutions but then there's a flip side of that in the side b community where we really struggle with authority as well and how to relate to authority and so i feel like this is a whole morass of things that i have not you know solved or i don't have all the answers for but i just think what's going on is just the landscape really needs brave strong voices and that's why i decided to write my book at this young age not because i wanted to write a book um and i remember sitting with wise people you know who say you know you should wait till you you write the book but god god was just insistent as well and so i think there needs to be like a bravery from us but there has to be a repentance from the church too and us like receiving that repentance and not being hard-hearted and then also as eva so wonderfully expressed receiving loving criticism you know um of how to steward our particular vocations from outside ourselves is also something i think we need to master but it's very difficult when you go to these conferences in the more traditional evangelical catholic i don't know like catholic world and the people aren't even gay or queer or same-sex attracted or transgender or whatever speaking and I, i think that has to change and i think we're part of that change. And I think it has changed. I feel what I feel very happy about just quickly, I suppose, is what I call the practice of solidarity with side A people. I think I really struggled with that at the beginning. It was like, how do I have solidarity with other gay people without like compromising my conviction? And I feel like, you know, I had that debate with Brandon or conversation. I think it was conversation, but they called it a debate. <laughs> a conversation with Brandon Robertson. Um, where we, we, I actually practiced that. I built a solidarity with him as a progressive gay pastor. And we were able to talk about issues and open up questions that like haven't been opened up in like big programs before. And I think that's a really exciting development and change in the landscape. I still think that existed to some degree, but it's maybe like, you know, there was like the gay Christian network and there was like side A and side B people in solidarity. So I'm not saying that that's new, but I feel like maybe it's grown in confidence. Um, I don't know, Wes or Eve, if you want to comment on the change, because you have been around longer than me. But yeah, I'm encouraged by that solidarity and how I think we need to think about that solidarity more. How do we represent that without losing our conviction um, and hold those two together? Yeah. I think Bridget does that really well, which kind of moves me into my, because I watch her do it, move in these spaces. I'm just like, okay, girl, you were solid. Okay, you went solid steps with these folks. But um, 
<laughs> now, what do y'all think about the Davids, uh, the Gregs, the Bridgets, um, and yeah, just other crops of writers who were coming up in this world that I think y'all kind of helped hold and create a safe place for us. And so, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mostly just think it's awesome. I, I think we need more and more and more voices. Um, and I, I find myself thinking, so I, I have a family life. I share a home with a, a married couple and their two children who are my godchildren and the oldest so is four. The oldest is four now. Um, and I just think about, you know, who knows if they'll be same-sex attracted or not, um, or, or, or some sort of gender minority, you know, whatever. Um, but I just think, wow, they're going to grow up in a very different world than I grew up in. And, and there are going to be so many more resources for them. I felt like I was having to kind of construct it all for myself. Like I didn't know there were there were instances, examples of, of what love could look like, you know, for someone like me. And now I just I just think we have a whole stack of books. You know, we have a whole library of podcasts and conferences. It's it's exciting. Yeah, I mean, that's basically my biggest feeling as well. I think everybody's contributing stuff and everyone who puts their oar in, uh, you know, is is moving the boat forward. Uh, That's probably not the necessary metaphor, but uh, yeah. And I think that there is a greater speed in moving from uh, obedience and and sort of coming to terms with the truth about one's orientation and attractions to now how do I live in a way that's loving. I think my impression is that the authors that are coming out nowadays move through that path a little faster than than I did and that Wes did, I think. And that's immensely encouraging. Like Greg Coles' book, Single Gray Christian, you know, is mostly memoir, Mm -hmm. but he has more resources available to him for imagining a future and finding that grounded in scripture. Uh, And that's immensely encouraging to me. Uh, And I think what David was talking about, I may be getting ahead of the conversation a little bit, but uh, what he, um, what he was talking about with, uh, there's a, previous model where I shouldn't say previous there's one model of Christian conversion where it's a rejection or like a straw a break with your former life and your former communities and another where it's a uh, like a flourish or a fulfillment a fulfillment of those former communities and commitments and one thing that was really striking to me about David's book was that uh it seemed to come more naturally to him to view his life in Christ as a fulfillment of his life in gay communities uh, rather than a turning away from it. I don't know if that's true in terms of how it felt to him to live it out, but in terms of the way the book comes across, there's an ease with that perspective that I really appreciated. And, uh, and, and like I said, and well, like he said, a desire for solidarity and service uh, and kind of continuing to make sacrifices for those communities. David? Oh, I mean, I I just so, it's always like I can just feel the Holy Spirit, you know, as we're talking about this. I mean, I almost well up with tears. I just, I really feel just the, the pain of, like, 
the gay community and what it's been through with this. And I feel like it's very, one of the things that we have to do, I think, as side B people is realize the way that things we talk about have been used to hurt the gay yeah. community. Mm-hmm. And if we're not incredibly, and I think maybe this is where some of my zeal, I had to re, re, reconstitute and rechannel um, in the way that I, I have articulated these things and be more sensitive to how like celibacy, for instance, um, has been used to clobber people or hurt them. Um, and, and, and how it has been a suppression practice to put it in the language of certain recent laws. Um, uh, and you know, like that is to actually mourn that and, and, and to hold that in solidarity with the gay community, I think is something that we're going to enter into more, um, as this conversation thickens. Um, I think Eve's, I just feel like Eve, your voice it's like a church mother, like, you know, like yeah. to me. And it's just healing. It's just healing to hear your voice like in person. So thank you. And also Wes, obviously, and all of you guys, but I can just feel that, you know, of how we're going to be part of healing the way that the Christian ethic has been misappropriated, used by power to hurt the gay community and to try to bring this new horizon, this new way, this third, I don't even know if I like to call it deeper, but you know, whatever you want to call it, um, together we're doing that. And I think that's an incredibly exciting journey to encourage us. But what Eve was saying about the model of conversion and the theology behind what we're saying, I think is really important. And I was very grateful for the theology conferences before Revoice that helped to theologically frame what we're doing because I think we can easily get off track if we don't hold to a solidarity amongst ourselves but also a theological depth that can hold us through to that goal um, of reaching the gay community mm-hmm. and 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 expressing a ethic of celibacy that's true to Christianity and not some like stoical repression or mm-hmm. um, yeah. you know that hurts people yes yeah yeah and speaking of voices David, when your voice came in this conversation, like I mentioned, you came in like a wrecking ball that Miley Cyrus was on. And I am just like, (laughs) I'm like like seeing myself on a wrecking ball as you say that. And I'm like, (laughs) health and safety. Goodbye. (laughs) Someone needs to create this, this meme. When I think of David Bennett, I literally think of you on that Miley Cyrus. I came in like a wreck. I mean, you just did. Now it's like, Oh, this is my first conversation with you. I don't even know. I think I reached out to you on Facebook or something. I thought you were going to be in Dallas on a book tour, a part of your book tour. I was like, I'm just going to reach out to him, see if he wants to grab breakfast. And then I brought my dear pastor friend and brother along, Garrett, and my friend Joel came with, and we were walking around Dallas. And it is rare that Henry Buto is at a loss for words or speechless or... And I was like, I'm just going to listen because I'm so fascinated by anything and everything coming out of this guy's mouth. And I remember even after Garrett and I, we were talking and we were just like, okay, that was a conversation we don't get to have very often. And like he was giving some criticism about DTS, um, seminary here, um, criticism about the, I mean, mind you, this was 2018 and we thought stuff with the government this one had gotten bad we had no idea how bad it would get <laughs> but so david's given us his thoughts he's given his thoughts on the church he's given his thoughts on this and i'm like i just met you 20 minutes ago and you are so bold in how you speak so 
thank you for that gift of your personality, but where does that come from? I think it's a mixture of Greek genes. <laughs> uh, and um, I think I come from a family culture of honesty and, you know, um, my parents were always very strong on like, just say what you think, you know, and be who you really are and don't, you know, I didn't have the kind of repressive Christian parents or the, so I think when I came into the conversation, that was part of it. The other part is just this sense of kind of mm, passion to see things change and passion to go into environments that were more conservative as someone who agreed with those theologies on some level, maybe not completely, mm -hmm. but like had, yeah, Jesus is raised from the dead. Like creeds are true. Like <laughs> you yeah. know, the Bible is the authoritative word of God on, you know, however you want to parse that. <laughs> um, and let's just go. Like, let's just see, let's see change. Like, let's hear voices. Let's be that wrecking ball. But I think like, like Wes, I think, I think we, Wes and I came at a crossing point together, mm. I think about two, was it two years in, ago in London? I'm trying to remember. Yeah, maybe even longer, actually. Yeah. And we, we were also having a cocktail. Yes. <laughs> Small dogs and cocktails. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, and, we're, and I was saying to him, because he said to me, you know, well, I'm really glad to see you're kind of doing this vocationally and whatever, but you know, it's hard. Mm. There's like a toll. And I suppose at that point I'd started to feel that toll of like, yeah, I was mm. the wrecking ball. And I think God used that. But I re really am passionate about other side B voices, not having to go through the pain and anguish and tax that we maybe, yes. and probably even Wes have more than I have. Um, but, you know, how do we create vocations in ministry or just life generally that are actually sustainable for us and that don't mean we're constantly falling over into pain and woundedness and like you know yeah like I wanted to see I suppose I was passionate about joy I want to see like the joy of the side B gay community or just you know those who have been saved by Christ and just constantly feeling like we were pushed under um and I think that joy was supernatural for me that I got from the Holy Spirit um and the joy of just giving yourself to God is incredibly effusive and just, yeah, it comes, you know, enthusiasm to be filled with God. Yeah. I think that enthusiasm was a gift, but also something that I had to mature in. Mm -hmm. I, yeah, David, um, keeping it on you for a second. To be friends with you in real life, like I consider you a friend of mine. Um, it is an honor. And then to be friends with you on social media is a spectacle, a delight. Like whenever I see a long post from you, I truly go make sure I find my phone charger, like or my laptop. <laughs> and uh, my friend Garrett, now who I keep mentioning, a dear pastor friend of mine, would you like text like, did you see this screenshot? This like, did you read this yet? And I'm just like, oh God, what did David do? What did he say? And they end up usually being great mini sermons, but I'm just like, what are these conversations you aim to spark with these posts? And specifically even last week um, with, the court decision you had mentioned and you had a lengthy post. I never, honestly, I don't interact with Facebook much because like Facebook is what it is. But, um, and whenever <laughs> I see the comment section when like, well, yours the other said 125 comments, I am like, 
oh yeah, let me go right in here and just get this tea. <laughs> go right just, for the comments. Yes, I just love lurking and reading in there. I'm just like, and then also, so the a phrase black people use is like when somebody has the time. I, I'm like, oh, David Bennett had the. He woke up today and he had the time. <laughs> What are doctorates for? No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. uh, what are the conversations you aim to spark? Because, like, I can tell you're not doing it to be, like, antagonize people or whatever, but it is, like, you have a purpose with the way you challenge people. And so, is that I think, kind of... Yeah. I, I think, I mean, I'd love to hear what Eve and Wesley have to say about how do you steward your voice. Hmm. For me, I think... It just comes to a point where I get so unable to not say something. Mm -hmm. When I like, when I think about, especially the Victoria Bill, for instance, like, and it's been very helpful to hear like Josh's experience with Exodus or other people. I don't have those experiences. I'm in this space where I'm like, oh no, the secular culture is doing the thing that the fundamentalist Christian culture did. Ah, like I have to post about this. Mm -hmm. I have to say this is not okay. Like, you know, and like pull out that that part of it that so needs to be articulated. And maybe I don't do it perfectly because I'm kind of in it, but I feel that it's important to say that. Otherwise, it doesn't get heard. And there've been many instances throughout my ministry where I've been like, I'm too exhausted to say that. I'm too tired to like write another article but every time I have like someone messages me and says thank god you said that because I desperately needed that today and that's helped me on my next step and I think the spirit sometimes uses that and I have to admit sometimes I think it's also a fleshly thing where I need to resist and not be a wrecking ball <laughs> and it's mm -hmm. not my call so it's not all like the holy spirit is using me but I think that boldness he's given me he does use to bring out those those issues uh for people and i hope that you know if you ever feel like david you need to <laughs> maybe pull it back a bit i'm very happy for a message as well <laughs> um but like what other space do we have to process this i don't know like i think the gay community has always been an online community mm -hmm. um that does that it's very open about its conversations and so i suppose i've modeled myself a bit on that too Mm. I think that's really interesting you mentioned about the online community and these conversations that we're having because as a black man, um, specifically in the past year, well, I've been black my whole life, but <laughs> um, specifically in the past year and a half in this country, <laughs> but um, a lot of conversations that were probably had in other spaces are now being had online, and it's something I mentioned in the mm. season opener this season, but um I see probably a lot of the conversations that should be happening in churches and whatnot now happening online just because of the church's reluctance or refusal to have some of these conversations. And that can get very disheartening. And I can kind of be like you in both the race conversation or the gay conversation, sexuality, whatever you want to call it. And I can kind of come in like a wrecking ball. And then I got to a point to where I felt like this was probably, I mean, just fatigued on both ends. Certainly happened in 2019. 
And then this past year, I was like, you know what, Henry? You probably need to take a break because too much of your flesh is starting to come out in this conversation, not enough of the spirit. And so I, I took a break from speaking, from writing about it, and really having conversations on platforms. And even now, people will message me or something, and I'll be like, nope, here's a link. Here's someone else you can talk to. Here's this. Like, I've had to learn to, like, really conserve where I interact in those conversations, especially online, because a lot of it for me online is, like, I'm talking to strangers, and uh, so many people want to really come at you, and I'm like, we're not going to do this. And so what are y'all's thoughts on that in terms of, like, knowing when to come in with, like, a boldness and when maybe to take a step back, and how do y'all take a step back and recharge? Mm -hmm. Well, I think I think that's one reason I am excited about things like Revoice is for me being with other queer, gay, SSA folks is increasingly it feels necessary for my spiritual life and my mm. relational well-being um, where you don't have to offer many explanations or defenses of what you're going through and, mm. and you can count on people to get it, people to understand and sympathize. That's that's. Um, that's why I'm so excited about kind of defending Revoice and like seeing it be all that it can be um, just because it feels personally necessary. It feels important for me, uh, not just as a movement, but just as a space to be. Um, I also think, I mean, kind of returning to Eve's question about criticism, I, I remember someone giving me advice years ago saying, you need to know who, who are the one or two people in your life that you can go to and say, this is this is what I wrote, and this is the pushback that it's gotten. What am I not seeing here? Do I need to take this seriously? And if those people tell you, hey, there is probably something here that you need to consider and reflect on, then by all means, you know, take it seriously and do that work. But but if, if that person who knows you well and knows your strengths and weaknesses says to you, you know, this is really not a good faith criticism, um, kind of trusting that, trusting those those people to know you and, and have your back in that sense, that, that's been helpful for me. Uh, you know, just having, having that kind of handful of folks who I know, these are my, these are my people. <laughs> these are the people <laughs> whose voices I trust to speak into my life. Um, as, far as, as far as boldness goes and kind of when to intervene in a conversation, I've always kind of used a, a diagnostic for myself of what, what do I feel that I have to say? Like what is kind of burning like a fire in my bones, you know, to quote the Jeremiah line. Uh, like, so with Washington waiting, I just felt like I, I have to, I have to do this. This feels necessary. I don't see this book existing in the world and I'm not sure I'll publish it, but I just feel like I have to write it even if, even if only for myself. And the friendship book, the, the book called Spiritual Friendship was similar. I, I felt that kind of on the heels of some of the things I was reading and learning from Eve, uh, her her blog, her, her book, I think had just come out. Um, I, I felt that this, this conversation also needs to be happening in the evangelical Protestant world. And uh, for people who might not pick up a book like Gay and Catholic, maybe my friendship book can be something that, that draws on what I've learned from Eve and, and kind of presents this idea that we're not simply called to give something up if we're gay and Christian. We're not simply called to a renunciation. We're called to embrace something positive and to pursue something that is about giving and receiving love. Um, so, and I'm, you know, right now I'm working on a project. It's taken me a long time to, to get any traction on it. But uh, along the lines that David was talking about of side A, side B, solidarity, I'm working on a project about what would it look like if we not tried to solve our debate with each other or 
or convert each other necessarily, but, but what if we reframed the terms of the conversation mm. so that it's, it's about what are the forms of reordering desire that we all should be uh, looking to explore? So, you know, some of the very best side A arguments I've come across from people like Eugene Rogers or uh, Sarah Coakley, it's, it's not about simply the indulgence of desire. It's not about like giving pe gay people like an outlet for their passions or something. It's much more about like what is the, what does discipleship look like? What does the sanctification mm -hmm. of desire look like? Mm -hmm. um, what does the reordering of one's loves look like? Mm -hmm. and, and I think that's the conversation that we in the side B world can be having too. So there's, there's a lot of solidarity and there's a lot of mutual Good. exploration we could do even if we don't quite end up with the same conclusions. So yes. I don't I don't see many people writing about that right now. So I think this is one of those. It's another one of those things that feels important for me, and therefore yes. I take that as a as a sign I need to be writing about it. And I think I think David, you and I are in pretty similar theological territory these days. So I'm I'm hoping yeah. in the next few years there's going to be a lot of um, you know iron sharpening iron as we together you know dialogue about these things too. Definitely. Do I sense a collab happen? No, I'm joking. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> Ready? Put well, the hands in the center. No, no, <laughs> Wesley, we don't have time to get into this, but uh, for the for those of y'all listening, Wesley just said something really important that I have wanted to express and have have expressed at various times about the side B world culture, whatever. The lack of discipleship can be really glaring sometimes and painfully obvious or aware when I read some things. I'm like, oh my God, these babies need to be discipled, honey. But myself included sometimes. But I'm just like, well, myself included all the time. We all need to be discipled. But like, there is a gap in discipleship in parts of this conversation. And so I definitely wanted to flag that. And maybe that's something we can talk about at a later date if we have you back yeah. on the podcast. Yeah, um, I'd love to. But yeah, I want to move to Eve. Um, Real quick, the conversation we are having currently, and then with the five of us, and then the one we are having in the largest side B conversation or just sexuality is largely dominated by men, specifically white men. So um, what are your thoughts on the lack of women's visibility? Um, my friend Kaylee, who's a therapist, she always says this. She says, lack of visibility communicates lack of value. Mm -hmm. And what do you think about that in terms of there's not being as big of a space for women um, similar like you to engage in this conversation in meaningful ways and in what ways do you think men, well, men could always take a backseat to anything at this point in time, honestly. But yeah, so what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, you, I, I've been thinking about this, knowing that we were going to have this conversation, and I still don't know that I've come up with anything super interesting, I'm afraid. Um, I think that, uh, in general, women who try to write theologically realize at some point that our formation in the church has been w weirdly way too dominated by men's voices by theology by men and so you start constructing an alternative spiritual lineage that would include like Gertrude the Great alongside or instead of Aquinas you know or that would uh be drawing more on women's models uh ultimately my understanding from the polling is that there are just fewer lesbians uh than there are gay men yeah. and so in, and my own experiences in gay communities have been and sort of gay culture 
has been mostly formed by men. And so I'm like weirdly comfortable with that. And maybe I'm therefore not the right person to have any insight into uh, what is needed in the conversations from women who are not particularly excited to be in a gay culture, even mm -hmm. a side B culture that's uh, very, very much formed by gay men. Um, yeah. I guess my the only thing that I can really say with confidence is that there are women's intellectual lineages and lineages of women's witness that are there to be discovered. And I think that people will begin bringing those more into the conversation. Uh, they're harder to find for a lot of reasons. Uh, a lot of things that women did were not recorded in the historical record. And so if a lot of what you're looking for is to construct an intellectual lineage and a history, you are going to have a harder time, but they're there. Uh, yeah, I, I think that's sort of all I can do. Yeah. Um, Wesley and David, what do y'all think about that? And in terms of as white men, um, what do you think y'all's responsibility is to create space, decenter yourself, step down and allow other voices, um, women, and then voices of color as well into this conversation and make room for that? Uh, yeah, well, I think I think the first thing to say probably is that I'm I'm in process on all of this, and I think for many people who've had the upbringing that I've had and the education that I've had, like we're we're currently in a huge learning mode, um, you know, and and I'm I'm listening carefully to the conversations that are taking place right now around race in Christian churches and communities and. Um, I, I, I think one of the things I, I, sorry, I keep going back to Revoice, but one, one of the things that I'm encouraged by with Revoice is uh, these issues of, of diversity and representation are very much on their radar and they recognize that. Uh, we have to put that right to task, believe you me. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. And, and, you've, and, <laughs> and, you've been, and you've been at the heart of that, Henry, and, which yeah. I think has been really beautiful to see. Like the, the statement that came out, you know, that mm -hmm. I think you were, you were probably involved with was, was really yes, for sure. Um, I, I will say, I think like a lot of evangelical Protestants, when I was working on Washington Waiting, I thought of this very much in kind of like individualistic terms, like like my own spiritual journey with God as a gay man. And I think as I've listened to the conversations taking place around race, I've realized like that that is at best one part of what we need to be talking about. There's, mm -hmm. there's also the larger patterns and structures of how the church functions that... Um, need to be re-examined and and we we people like us we not only need to cultivate a prayer life and and you know a, a life of loving scripture etc but we also need to be lending our voices prophetically to you know challenge structures that are unjust and and patterns that should not exist in the church so yeah like you say part of that is us simply stepping aside and making using our platform to platform other voices um, and I think part of it is maybe even in our own speaking, like, like I, what would it look like for me, for example, when I get asked for the 25th time, if I'll, if I'll write something about my use of the word gay, what would it look like if I said, I won't write about that, but here's something I will write about. You know, I'll, I'll write about, mm -hmm. um, diversity and representation in the side B community. I, I don't know. That's, that's just an idea for how I could perhaps use the voice that I've been given to prophetically change the subject sometimes. 
Yeah, I'll I'll jump in there with Waz. I think fantastic reflections. As a Pentecostal, I feel this kind of connection, the spirit with the Black community. I actually find myself unable to listen to worship music that is just constantly white. I have this deep grief mm. in my heart about the church, like not valuing Black Pentecostal worship or gospel music. Mm. Um, and not just making that a like gimmick, like actually I think that needs to become the center of the diet of the church mm. is those who have been oppressed in history, their voices, their music, their culture becoming the center of the heart of the church and its cultural expression too. So for me, that's been really, I found myself like, especially over Black Lives Matter, just like not being able to just done for a moment with all the white worship people or white pastors and just like tuning them out for a moment and being like, I am going to listen to um, African-American, African voices and let that come into me in the spirit because we're connected as one. And so like, I'm not black, but I feel connected to black people. And without that, I am not whole. I, I think, you know, whiteness is a lack of being whole, you know, in the sense of like, without the black community, the church is just not whole. And there's just incredible revelation, there's incredible, um, you know, I think of the history of the Pentecostal church with white and black in the same room and the spirit falling, there's just incredible stuff to be brought out there. So I would want to point there. And then I'd also want to say at Oxford, there's quite exciting developments finally in like quite a stuffy British environment seeing that like there are there is reformation happening and we're going to have some more black theology in the syllabus and so i think things are changing and I, i'm really excited about that for the women question i would say basically most of the systematic theology that i read now <laughs> is women <laughs> so sarah coakley's systematic theology catherine sonderaker's systematic theology but i i want to definitely see more black voices in the systematic theology conversation yeah. um, and I'm really looking forward to how liberation theology and other like academic disciplines will come together to like refresh systematic theology yeah uh, and I think Wes and I are kind of part of that destabilizing of the kind of power structures that have stopped that and so I'm excited to see what will happen that's very academic but that is also happening in the academic well, world. So let me let me throw something in that I think is pra is extremely practically relevant, um, which is that a lot of our conversations around celibacy and vocation uh, often do not build in the role of economics and kind of uh, mm. how are mm. you going to make this economically viable uh, in a way that. I assume disproportionately affects black people, people of color, but is sort of also clearly its own thing. Uh, in, and that, mm, I don't know what more to say about it other than that I really wish we had more writing and discussion on that topic, mm. because in reality, people are just trying to like figure out how can I not be trying to live as a single person with no one to share my burdens, including financial burdens? Mm -hmm. uh, and how can I in some way find uh, a community that I fit into and can, can live and work in? 
yes. uh, at a queer calling. This is, I think, the only thing I've seen that was written explicitly about celibacy and socioeconomics uh, was a post at a queer calling by Sarah, who wrote about the ways in which partnered celibacy for her was like made a lot more sense because of her background uh, in the working class and also was like uh, much more economically viable than like just living on your own. Yes, girl, let me tell you, because I say the Lord did not mean for me to pay this rent alone. I promise you, the Lord did not have that in mind for me. Not this car payment, not these oh, utilities. I like preach. fully believe it. Uh-uh. Preach, <laughs> preach. Yes, but yes. yeah, as we wrap up here, just one last question. Um, I guess, what's next? What are y'all working on? Because Eve, this summer, you had that article come out, and all my friends like were sending it to me, and like my best friend and his wife did. I'm like, I know her, I know this. Y'all are new to this, not me. <laughs> I was like, this Which is article my was that? Um, gosh. It was, was this the Pope Francis one? Yes. Oh, and yeah. like, oh yeah, that one got sent everywhere. And I'm like, y'all, this is my friend. I know her. Like, this is good work. <laughs> I was so I felt like such a proud friend. I was like, That's great. <laughs> yeah, so what are y'all working on individually? Yeah, uh, I'll start. I have a book coming out this fall, uh, that is a sequel to Gang Catholic. It yes. is uh and it, it gets at some of the stuff uh that I think that I have learned uh, since writing Gang Catholic. There are two things that I would say. One is that it's Gang Catholic was very much about the horizontal relationships that you could have with other people. Uh, this book is about directly your relationship with God and the things that Christians have done that have damaged that and how you can uh, rebuild and restore that. Uh, the title is going to be tenderness a gay christian guide to unlearning rejection and experiencing god's extravagant love Ooh, which sort of gives you a picture and it's also got go. some of my own <laughs> repentance for the ways that i engaged in these conversations before i was really deeply embedded in a gay christian community when i was kind of out there on my own uh, mm. so that's my big thing that's what i'm working on Okay, that is answer. Like, do you know when in the fall it's coming out? That sounds Late like something I can't wait to get my hands on. Late fall. My guess is November, December. Okay, just right in time for the holidays. Yes, we will That's have right. to have you on later on after it comes out to talk about it. Okay, Mr. Bennett. Uh, for me, potentially a move back to New, Ze to New Zealand, not back to New Zealand, <laughs> I suppose. I'm Australian. But there is a theology college there that is potentially going to form a role for me. It's not set in stone. It may not happen. So that could happen. I'm just, my thesis really, it's called Queering the Queer. How does homosexual celibate escasis renew and inform the role of desire uh, in contemporary Anglican theology? Gosh, I got um, so tired of hearing that title. Y'all are so smart. <laughs> it is, it is, I mean, it's Oxford. You have to do these kinds of things. <laughs> and it's like form of academic sass. But, um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so that, that's what I'm up to. I just really honestly want to like be at Revoice. I have not been at Revoice. I feel like no. that's a project. But with COVID-19 in the way, let's like... I, yeah, but I think that they're the main things I'm up to. Um, and yeah, I, God has been faithful to get me through them and in this time. So, so yeah. 
Dr. Well, Hill. and I, I alluded to it earlier, but I, I've been working now for several years. It's not finished uh, on a book that I'm co-authoring with Steve Holmes, who's a theologian at the University of St. Andrews in Scotland. Yes. And Steve wrote a blog post, you can Google it if it intrigues you, called Queer Hippo. Um, the hippo comes from St. Augustine of Hippo. And uh, the queer is obvious enough. But Steve cheekily describes this post as being about how St. Augustine meets Judith Butler and they get along surprisingly well. Um, so, so the idea of the book is that um, we're, we're kind of stuck in, in some corners of the church in a conversation between a view that would say gay is normal and good and natural and therefore it needs to be affirmed. And then the sort of mirror image of that, heterosexuality is normal and natural and good, and therefore it needs to be defended and affirmed. And we want to try to say, what if that way of framing the question is is wrongly, what if that's wrongly framed? What if it's not about looking for what's normal and then sort of baptizing it? But what if it's about the finding everything that exists now, including very much heterosexuality, uh, to be in need of transformation, to be in need mm-hmm. of redemption and, and um, in a sense, reordering, which is the Augustinian vision, right? And, and, and someone like Judith Butler would say, you know, there is, there is no such thing as a normal instantiation of gender and sexuality. And so, so there's a surprise. And Augustine would know. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So there's like this surprising convergence, at least at some level, between, you know, kind of really adventurous secular queer theory and what, St. Augustine knew all along, you know, about, about the wayward heart and the way our, our, our loves need to be drawn back to their source in God. Mm-hmm. So that's the, that's the idea. It's, it's proving so a challenging good. book to write. I think I've been so distracted by, you know, what's happened with Revoice and, and also just our culture has changed so much in the last few years around these issues. Mm-hmm. Like when I started writing, Obergefell would not even have been thought of, you know, and yeah. so I think I'm just trying to get my head around like where are we right now like what what do i specifically have to say um and what am i being called to say so yeah pray for me please well we'll do i think i think just quickly like augustine really is i think going to be an important like my first chapter is on augustine and i think that's going to be a hugely important theological resource for us because augustine really is about a traumatized christian culture Hmm. trying to piece itself back together and that's where we're kind of at i think Mm. um yeah so i I mean i cannot wait wes for this book to come out so and to dialogue with you it's gonna be great oh so good gosh thank you all so much eve david and wes for just coming on giving us uh almost two hours of your morning and just chatting with us this was a treat and honor for us as a co-host team and then myself personally as just friends and admirers and people I consider heroes of mine. Thank y'all so much for just chatting with me this morning. So this was great. Thank, thank you. you it's Henry, a pleasure. Thank you, Josh. Yes. Much love. Awesome. Yeah. I'm excited for the projects that are coming out. So I'm very excited. Yeah.